You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called Ships, and the idea of this series is this, that there are vessels you and I need to get on that lead us to the place that we actually want to go, that, that we don't just arrive at places, we don't just get there randomly, that actually there's got to be an intentionality to growing in our lives. We understand this idea that there is a huge difference between knowing, right, which is up here, and understanding, which is oftentimes right here. It's in, it's in the heart. It's in the personal experience. Would you agree with me that there's a huge difference between knowing something and understanding something? Would you agree that there's a huge difference with that? Yeah? Okay, well, I know lots about sharks in the wild because of Shark Week. But... When we recently, Heather and I, were going to snorkel at night with the manta rays, we saw a 12-foot tiger shark as we were going out on this catamaran boat, as we were leaving the coast of Kona on the island of Hawaii, and we're we're driving out, we're going to go snorkel, we're going to get in the water and snorkel, we see the dorsal fin of a 3 to 4 meter, so a 12-foot tiger shark out there. So I'm going to show you just a little quick video clip of being on the boat. And that's coming up behind. Beautiful, beautiful sunset, right? Just glorious. And as we turned around and looked the other direction, we see this massive thing. And I'm thinking, like, that, that looks like a big piece of, like, junk or something in the ocean. But it's, it's really triangular. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me, that's a shark, right? And I'm right next to these two South Africans. And they're like, oh, that's a three to four meter shark. You know, they talk like that. And so... We're, I'm sitting right next to them, and we look, and right, the sun catches it, and the, the shark, like, sees the boat, and so it turns, and you see all the stripes, you know, on its side. And I'm like, that's a huge, massive tiger shark, which I was all excited about. Heather, not so much. Not so much, because we were going to go, uh, you know, and get in the water in just a little bit at night with snorkeling gear on, and uh, she was just aware. So again, I I know lots about sharks in the wild, but it's when you see that shark's fin in the wild, when you're going to go swimming, that you understand on a whole new level. Isn't there a big difference between knowing and understanding? Yep, a big difference, right? So you know that manta rays are big, but until you get in the water and you see this thing that it has a 10 to 12 foot wingspan and weighs up to 1,000 pounds, you don't realize just how big they are. You understand when you see them firsthand. Here's a little video clip of the manta rays underwater. So watch your screen at the bottom. Now we have a lighted surfboard that makes all that plankton come up to it and that's why the manta rays come up. They come up to feed. But when that thing comes right up next to you and it's not behind the glass at the aquarium and you're thinking like, if my arm goes in there, I might not get it back. No, they have jaws. They, they, don't, they, they can gum you to death, I imagine, but they can't, they can't bite you. They can't hurt you. They're not, they're not uh, dangerous animals. They don't have a barb. They don't have a stinger. They're not stingrays. They're manta rays. There's these big, gentle, amazing creatures that God has put on the earth. But again, there's a difference between knowing that they exist in the water and going and seeing it. When you see it and you experience it firsthand, you understand. Uh, I know that water can damage stuff. But there's a big difference, right? You know that too. There's a big difference between a leak in the apartment above you compared to a leak in an apartment below you, right? There's a world of difference between those two. It's when there's a leak in the apartment above you 
that you finally understand just how bad water damage can be. And kids, you know in this room, right, you know that bees can sting. You know that, right? But it's not until you're running around on the grass and you accidentally step on one and it stings your big toe that all of a sudden you understand what bee stings are like, right? Uh, my first bee sting, I can still remember it. It was fourth grade, I'm out on the play set, and I'm playing around, and all of a sudden I feel like, ow, like in my armpit. And a bee had flown up my shirt, and it stung me. In the, I don't know why these things always go up my shirt, but they do. And, and the bee went up there, and it stung me in the armpit. And so, you know, I, I like get with my teacher, and I take the shirt off, and I see the little stinger. And before the teacher can say anything, I grab it and squeeze it to pull it out. And I squeeze the entire amount of venom right into my armpit. I understood that bee stings can really, really hurt in that moment. See, there's a difference between knowing and understanding. And I want you to realize today that you know that you should be with people. You know that you were created to be with people. You know that you need interaction with other people. That it is healthy for you and I not to isolate, but to get together with other people. We need fellowship in our life. And for some of you, you're like, I need to get with people. And maybe they're people at the gym, or maybe it's church people, and you're in a circle group where you meet in a home during the week, and you're gathering with them. And, and there are those times, I guarantee you, all of us, there are times that you're like, oh, it's circle group night, and I'm tired, and I don't know. But then you go, and at the and you're like, I'm so glad I went. Why? Because you know you should be with people, but after you're with people, you understand just how deep that need in your heart really is. What it does when other people help you breathe easier, when people come alongside you, you know the difference. And maybe you get together and you play sports with people, or somebody invited you to church. Recently, a Starbucks barista across town just said to me, you know what? She goes, it just began to dawn on me. I was amazed by how many of the people that I know and regularly interact with actually go to Sun Grove Church. She was just shocked. Like She's like, I know all these people out of context. I know them all from my job at Starbucks across town. But when she came, she just began to realize just how many of the people that she sees on a daily basis that she interacts with, that she enjoys, actually attend our church. I love when a church like ours has a reputation like that with people who are outside because it says you're making a difference as you are in your mission field during the week. You know that you should regularly connect with people. But when you understand it is when you fellowship with people. And that sounds like a very churchy word, fellowship. Fellowship just means you're getting together with people. You're lifting each other up. You're building each other up. You need to gather. Why would God call Christians not just simply to believe in him and go about our own business and have an individual walk with Christ and just kind of wander around and think, hey, this is my belief in God, and I'm all good, and, and I should have two days off on the weekend. I shouldn't have to go to church. Why does God call us to gather? He knows that you and I are designed to interact with other people. We need fellowship. And so we're in this series called Ships. And again, ships are what are the vessels that I need to board to get me to the positive growth that I really do desire in my life. I want that growth. But what are the ships I need to get on board to do that? And, and if you're taking notes today, here's what I want you to write down. Fellowship is the ship you board in pairs. See, fellowship doesn't just happen. Connection with other people doesn't just happen. 
It's something that you have to be intentional about, that you want to make happen, that you want to work on. So fellowship is the ship that you board in pairs. You don't go to get fellowship just simply on your own. You typically are taking someone with you. You are gathering with other people. You might drive individually, but when you get there, you are getting on board with fellowship together. It doesn't just happen alone. And God, who is God in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, understands in his very being that we were wired for a relationship and we are created in his image, which means you and I are created for fellowship. Last week we talked about friendship and how to be able to have the most influential people in our inner circle, those who are moving us in a positive direction. And when we establish that, then we have to establish that we need regular fellowship with those influencers in our lives. If you have a Bible, open with me to Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two is beginning to talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And what has happened is he's gone through Mark 1 where he's had his baptism. Then he's gone out into the desert and he's tried and tempted and tested for over 40 days by Satan. Then he comes back and he chooses his friends. He says, who are my disciples going to be? And he he chooses those people. And then Jesus gets on mission. And so often we've talked about our identity, our formation, our community, and our mission. And God is now getting on mission, but he's got some people with him. And he begins to walk around to heal people, to teach the good news. And we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And I want to just pause right there. That I, you got to let you know, because people go, wait, wait, wasn't Jesus from Nazareth? But you got to realize, here's what the nature is. You have probably lived in different places and have different cities or different towns been your home. And so you can come home when you're not in your hometown. You're not in your original home. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. Then he and his family fled to Egypt. And he was living in Egypt for a while. Then after the death of Herod, they came back and they went up north to Nazareth. And that's where he spent his growing up years. And then he's left his town of Nazareth. He spent some time in Jerusalem. He's now gone up to the Galilee region around the Sea of Galilee to a little town called Capernaum where he stays with friends. It's his home base. In fact, 90% of the miracles Jesus did, he did in this very small geographical area called Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So it says a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And so men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was laying on. So Jesus has come home. He began to teach, but he's got the power of God. He is God. He's got the power of God with him, and he's touching people. He's doing miracles, and these guys have a friend who's in need of a miracle. He's a paralyzed guy. And so what they would do is they, they bring him. They bring him, and I don't know what that conversation was like, but they just said, we're going to get you. We're going to take you. I don't know if he's like, no, 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 or if he was like, yes, please, could you guys show up at my house at a certain time? Let's go meet Jesus. Maybe he can do something for me. We don't know. We don't know is he a paraplegic, which is just his legs didn't work? Was he a quadriplegic that his arms and legs didn't work? We don't know. All we know is he was paralyzed. He could not get himself there. 
And so he's got some friends who help get him there. And they go to this house, but of course the crowd is around. And these are very small, tiny little houses, okay? What would happen is they would build these homes out of kind of volcanic uh, basalt rock, which is just this dark rock, and, and they would build it there, and that's where they would live. And if you got married and you were a male, you typically just built another floor on your parents' house. That's how it worked. You didn't necessarily spread out. Oftentimes you went up. And so if it had multiple floors, it meant multiple families were living, just each had their own floor. Well, they get there, and the house is packed the windows are packed. They can't hear Jesus. They can't get inside. And so they go on the stairs on the outside because whatever was the top of the house, they would then use that as a place to dry clothes. It was like a patio. It was a, it was a nice place where they'd have a little bit of a view. They'd catch the breeze coming off the Sea of Galilee. And when we went to Israel, we went to a house like this. I want to show you a picture of it. This first picture here up on the screen, you'll see these are some of the people on our trip. And yes, they are dressed up in first century garb. But this is a house. You'll see there's storage up above. You see these rock walls. You see that you can only pack a few people in. You, we're not talking about a massive, you know, plantation complex. We're talking about a very small house and people are packed in everywhere. And there's actually even above, there'd be like a little loft area. That's where the kids would sleep. And that would be packed with people. This would be packed with people. And they'd be sitting there. Go to the next slide. The next slide shows uh, a number of the uh, people who were there. In fact, the guy in the middle is the program, the main program camp director at Hume Lake Camps. So he's going to be in charge of a lot of our kids this week for all three of the camps that our kids are at. But, uh, but while they're there, you can just imagine people sitting around like in that picture, that they're there, this, this, uh, you know, um, the house is built like that. Well, they can't get in. So they go upstairs, and they go upstairs, and on the upstairs there'd be beams, there'd be some rocks, some tiles, and there would be dirt and other leaves and things packed in to make it waterproof, and that's where these guys started digging. So you can imagine, you're not talking about a simple thing, not just like sliding open a sunroof on a car, not making it real easy. I mean, this thing, they start moving stuff, they start digging as Jesus is teaching, stuff starts falling down. It's very disruptive. Nonetheless, these guys are not deterred. They tear apart the roof. They make an opening big enough to get their friend through who's on a mat, and they lower him down to Jesus. I want to just tell you, if you go to Israel with us next spring break, we've got about 10 spots left, and we're about to open up those spots outside our church. So I want to say, if you have any heart that you want to go next spring break, March 18th through 29th to Israel with us, then you need to get on our website, go to GTI Tours, and sign up for the Israel trip. We'd love to have you there and just see how God provides for you to be, be able to be there. But you're going to be able to go and see things like this firsthand. It just will open your eyes to the scripture in such a unique way. We would love to have you go on that. So they lowered the guy down on the mat. So they make this big disruption. Jesus is still teaching. He's still inside. They're obviously curious about what's going on. They're not sending people up the stairs saying, hey, what are you doing? You're breaking my house. For all we know, these guys may have helped build that floor on the house because that's what would happen if you were engaged to be married and it was your dad's house, you would go get your friends and you would build the next story, the next floor. And when that time of building those things was complete, then you would go get your bride. In other words, you had to provide the house before you could get the bride. And so the bride would get up almost every day and she would get ready like maybe the bridegroom will come today. Maybe he'll come get me today. And so what would happen is when the day came that he had the house built, then he would go get her. And the attendants and everybody, they'd, they'd start the wedding celebrations. So maybe these guys, who knows? 
They could have helped build it, or they could have said, hey, we've done this before for ourselves or for our friends. We know we can repair it. We know we can put it back together. Nonetheless, we got to get our buddy to Jesus, and that's what they're doing because their buddy is paralyzed. Now, there's different types of paralysis. See, paralysis can be physical. It can. You could be a paraplegic, a quadriplegic. You could have a health condition. You could have an injury. And when life gives you a time out, you realize that maybe all of a sudden your paralysis is physical. That you had plans, you had an agenda, but life came along and said, no, you're going to have this sickness. You're going to have this health condition. You're going to have this injury. You weren't expecting it, but paralysis sometimes in your life and in mine and those around us can be physical. But paralysis can also be emotional. It can be emotional, as in codependency or deep depression, something that's even chemically based. It's a reaction that keeps you or I from progressing. I want to get better. I want to get more positive. I want to board the ship that gets me in a positive direction. But right now I'm paralyzed. I have this emotional thing going on that keeps me in a state of paralysis. I'm unable to move. I'm unable to move myself. I'm unable to get up and do the things I need to do. Paralysis sometimes can be emotional, things that cause you, even at times, to return to old ways of relating, old ways of isolating in your life. But paralysis can also be chemical. Paralysis can also be chemical. As in, for example, if you arrive, we have an addiction or a dependency. And there are times in your life that your life can get interrupted. You can get paralyzed because of chemical addiction or chemical uh, dependency. And, and maybe in your life, it could be a mental health issue. It could be that you become manic. It can look in your life like huge anxiety, which makes you panic. It can look in your life like confusion. There are times that paralysis can be physical or emotional or chemical. But number four in your outline, the paralytic that you know needs a fellowship of care to bring him to Jesus, bring him or her to Jesus. You might look around and say, I know somebody who's physically in a state of paralysis because of health. I know somebody who chemically is in a state of paralysis. They cannot get to Jesus from where they're at. They're, they're stuck where they are without my intervention, without our help, a community of care. They can't move from where they are and get to where they need to be. They can't get to Jesus because of where they're at. They may, you may say emotionally, they're in a place where they are paralyzed. They can't get to Jesus without the help without the encouragement, without the love and the community of care around them to get them to Jesus. See, listen to me. The friends had to pick him up before they set him down or lowered him down through the roof, right? See, so, so many people read this story and they're so impressed that the friends would dig up the roof and put the guy down. But faith for the friends started when they picked him up. Do you hear what I'm saying? That faith for the friends began when they picked up the man. And I want to just let you know in your life, when you see the paralyzed people around you, and maybe it's someone in your house or someone in your neighborhood or someone in your circle of influence or it's someone in your circle of concern, that I want to tell you, get this principle. Sometimes you've got to go pick them up before you lower them down to Jesus. That the first step is you got to go get them. 
And let me say, sometimes for me and sometimes for you, we have come to church alone for far too long. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the paralytic needs a community of care who will come alongside them to get them to a place where they can know Jesus. The friends had to pick him up before they lowered him down. When my dad was dying, we didn't know what it was, but he was beginning to die of pancreatic cancer, and, and he just was proud. He would refuse to go to the hospital. And my mom was so concerned seeing the decline of his health, probably to my dad. He was just like, I'm just going to get through this. I'm just going to push through. I'm just going to be okay. And he just wouldn't go. So my mom called up my dad's best friends and said, I need you guys to come over to our house at 3 a.m. And I need you to basically grab my dad and take him to the hospital. And they did. They came over. He couldn't get there himself. Maybe for him it was just that, I think I'm okay. I think I'm going to get through it. I think I'm self-sufficient or whatever. But the reality is once they came and they brought him to the hospital, he never checked out until he went to heaven. Sometimes you've got friends like that. Faith starts when you pick the person up, not when you lower him down. Sometimes you and I need to pick people up. We need to have a community of care that cares enough and takes a person in a circle of concern and moves them to the place where they can know Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 5 says this, when Jesus saw their faith, okay, Jesus is looking at the works as evidence of the belief that they have that Jesus can heal because nobody's going to tear up the roof just to get inside the room. So the actions are evidence of the belief. So let me just say, if you say you have faith but you have no actions, I would question your faith. That actions are the result of faith. So Jesus is seeing something that, that may not be visible to everybody, but he's saying, because of their actions, I am seeing that they have belief that I can heal this paralyzed man. He says, when he, Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, and this is what he says, listen, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to time out right there. This man didn't come there to get his sins forgiven. He wanted to walk. He wanted to be healed. But I want to point out that this man who couldn't get himself there also couldn't, because of his physical condition, couldn't get himself to the temple in the Old Testament context where you had to go and you had to present sacrifices. He, he could do nothing ceremonially about the sin in his life. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't offer sacrifices. He couldn't give a tithe. He couldn't get there. He couldn't make an income. He couldn't do anything. And so here's a man because of his physical condition in that culture would have been seen as spiritually unclean. Don't touch him. Don't get near him. He's an unclean. He's an outcast. He can't get to the temple. He can't do what's righteous. He can't do what is right. And the first thing that Jesus does, it says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Do you see what Jesus just did? He went to his real need. The real need of his heart. What do the religious snobs in the room do? 
It says, verse 6, now some teachers of the law were there sitting, sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I'm sure they were very adamant about it. Because blasphemy would be a sin deserving of death. In fact, they would drag you outside and throw rocks at you until you were dead. So these, and, and Luke tells us in the same account that these Pharisees and other people had traveled all over to get in this little room to hear Jesus. So here these religious leaders are not the local mucky mucks. The, these are the religious leaders who've traveled from Jerusalem all the way here. When they walk in, all the people would be like, oh, the religious person that we would never have the chance to bump shoulders with, rub shoulders with, they're here. And they're watching what's going on. But they get all upset. Sometimes you and I confuse the greater need, right? Which was more lasting for this man? To have his sins forgiven or to have his paralysis fixed? Which is the real need? So often people are like, get me to your church. Maybe your church or maybe religion or maybe faith can do something for me. And the reality is you have something in mind that you want God to do for you. You have something in mind that you want God to fix. You have something in mind that you want God to come along and change in your life. But the reality is God is always going to go to the real heart issue first. He's going to go to the issue of your core. What's going on inside versus the outside? He doesn't go to what you think you know. He goes to a place where you can understand. Because there's a huge difference between knowing and understanding. So he's going to go there first. My son, your sins are forgiveness. So Jesus addresses your real heart need before he meets your physical need. Jesus addresses your real heart need before he meets your physical need. When you look at who Jesus is in scripture, so often he goes to the core issue, the root of the heart, the root of the person, before he deals with their physical infirmities. Verse 8 says this, Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? I just want to time out right there for just a moment, right? You're sitting in this little room. People dig through the roof. Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And instantly you're like, how arrogant. Like, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And you start to think, like, why would he say that? Like, that's, that's over the line. That's not what I expected when I came to this little gathering, this little fellowship today. That's really not what I expected. And they begin to become judges, these religious leaders, and they look at that. In this moment, they begin to, and Jesus says to them, why are you thinking these things? See, this is what we do. We always say, what are you thinking? We always say what? You know why? Because we don't know what people think. Jesus asked a very different question. He didn't ask, what are you thinking? He said, why are you thinking these things? That's a whole different question, right? Because Jesus does something in that moment. Not only does he understand the, the need in the heart of this paralyzed man that his sins needed to be forgiven, that he'd be declared clean in front of these other people, that God could forgive sin. But God has the ability 
to read thoughts. Jesus does both, which only God can do. He asks, who can, you know, they ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? And indirectly, there's a second thing that's tied right to it. Who can read a person's thoughts? Only God alone. So they ask, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? God goes, you think that's something? Let me tell you what you're thinking. He says, why are you thinking these things? Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man is authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man is that Isaiah reference to the future Messiah. Jesus is speaking of himself. He's saying, but that you may know that the Son of Man is authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The air conditioner almost came through the roof. Two statements, two questions, and I want you to catch them. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And on the other hand, why are you thinking these things? See, God has in his intent not only to help this man, but he has in mind the other people, right? Because you got to remember, if you're a Jewish person and you're sitting in that room and you're like, I'm near this miracle guy, Jesus, but Jesus doesn't have like any official standing with the church. But we're curious about him. He's doing miracles and stuff, so I, I want to hear from him. But listen, my whole life as a Jewish person... My influence has always been these religious leaders. And so there are people in the room who all of a sudden Jesus begins to challenge who should be in your circle of influence. And I think for some people in that room in this moment, they moved some of the religious leaders out of their circle of influence into their circle of concern. And they put Jesus smack dab in the center of their circle of influence. Because of the faith of these men lowering their friend down through the roof, because Jesus proclaiming that he can forgive sins and that he can heal a paralytic, and the guy gets up and walks out, people said, you know what? Beyond all that I've been conditioned to follow in these religious leaders, I'm gonna follow Jesus if they don't. And some of them will. But at this point, they're not. And so the people Say, I'm not going to let the confusion get in the way because it's one thing to know. It's another thing to understand. And we've known some things about the religious leaders. We've known some things about Jesus. But now we are beginning to understand who Jesus is. The question is, who can forgive sins but God alone? See, sometimes it's not the forgiveness that we seek. A lot of times we're like, I want my sins washed away. I want to be forgiven of my sins. But the reality is we think it's the forgiveness that we want. We're in pursuit of forgiveness. The truth is we're in pursuit of God. What we really want, what we really need, who we really need is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need God. But a lot of times when we come to church, we're like, well, I want to see what that's all about. I, I got this thing going on in my life, and I want to bring some morals to my kids. I got these things going on in my life, and I want to see if, if God can fix my problems. I got these things going on in my life. I really got a lot of guilt, and I have trouble forgiving myself. And so I want to go to church and see if God can sort that out. 
And we first come to church sometimes for those reasons. We think we want the forgiveness. We think we want the help. We think we want the healing. But God is what we really want. It's who we really need. We don't want the one who simply can make a statement and say, you're blessed, your sins are forgiven. In some priestly way, that's easy to say. We want the person who can forgive our sins. We want to know the one who is blameless. We want to know the one that we're accountable to. We want to know the one who created the heavens and the earth. We want to know the God who is so far beyond us that we can't bring him down to simply a human level, but he can bring himself right down and become like a human in the flesh. God become flesh, Jesus Christ. We want to know that God because he is the one who can forgive our sins. See, once I got to know the rescuer, then I understood just how lost I really was. Once I got to know who Jesus really is, then I realized just how lost I was, how far away from him. I, I didn't think I was that far. I didn't think I was that bad. I didn't think I was that, that I was actually lost. I didn't. But once I got to know God for who he is, I realized just how lost I understood the difference between knowing and understanding how lost I really was. See, one of the jobs of a lifeguard on the beach is to rescue people. But if you watch lifeguards, this is what they do all the time. Lifeguards will jump in the water, they'll go, they'll swim out, they'll rescue somebody, and they bring them back on shore, and, the, and then they have a little talk. You ever seen this? Especially if they're a young person. They have a little talk. Well, you were out there. Yes, you had a bodyboard, which is a flotation device, but you don't have flippers on. And the reason that I brought you in is because you can't touch the bottom. And what happens is, it doesn't matter if you have a flotation device, if the rip current is dragging you out, your flotation device just drags you out with it. Without flippers, you can't fight against that. You can't go sideways. And so what do they do? They, they bring the person in, they rescue them, but then they point out so they can understand just how lost they really were, just how much in danger they really were because they didn't know. That's the job of a rescuer, and so often God does that with you and with me. We come to him, God, I come to you for this reason, but then I, my mind is blown. I get to know who you are, but then you begin to show me just how great my need is for you, above my need for healing, above my need for help. I need you to be my rescuer. You are my king. You are my God. In the light of God's holiness, I see how unclean I really am, and I see my real need, not the need I thought I was bringing to God. See, some people mistakenly think, well, if I get in church or do something like that, I, I, I will understand, I'll get some friends around me, I'll get some positive people around me, some church people in my life. That'd be good, it'd be good for me, it'd be good for my kids. But then you begin to realize as you get these people around you, you bring them in your circle of influence, you begin to realize that you needed God all along. You thought you needed some good people in your life, but the truth is you need God and people, because God's wired you relationally. You need fellowship. You were in need of God. Fellowship with believers just carried you to that conclusion, right? These guys pick up their friend. They walk him there. These are his friends. He's having fellowship with his friends, but he didn't realize how deep his need was for God, not just healing to take up his mat and make him independent, self-sufficient, maybe make him think he doesn't need people anymore, but that he needed God and he needs his friends. 
but it was the faith of his friends who carried him there. Listen, the Christians you associate with can get you right up to Jesus. But the first step a paralytic takes is responding to the real need in your life, the forgiveness of sins. Then you begin to walk. It's not the healing and then you begin to walk. It starts with your friends that you've been hanging around. Then you realize, I need the forgiveness of my sins. And then you begin to walk. Number eight, fellowship is active love with a purpose. The sacrifice you make for real needs often leads to spiritual life. What is fellowship? It's coming together with other people so that we can be real with one another and with God and with ourselves. You need that in your life. You need fellowship, a place where you're real with God, with yourself, and with others. Let me ask you right now, do you have a group around you where you're able to be real with God, with yourself, and with others? If the answer to that question is no, then you need fellowship in your life. You need some other people, a community of care, that you encourage them, they encourage you. You begin to walk with them. You begin to become real about yourself because as you begin to see what you think are your needs, God takes it to the deeper thing and say, let's talk about your heart. You keep talking about all your physical needs or all your outside needs or your financial needs or your mental needs or your whatever. God's like, let's get to your heart. Let's get real there. Then we talk about your other needs because both are important. So... The sacrifice that you and I make for real needs often leads to spiritual life. What do these friends do? They made sacrifices for this guy. They picked him up. They carried him there. They were making this sacrifice to see him physically healed. But the reality is, as they were trying to help his physical need, his spiritual need was met. Their faith, their walk, their care actually led to spiritual health before it led to physical health. And that's what God calls you and I to do. Listen, there are always people in your life and my life who are going to reject fellowship. I, I, I don't want to connect with other people. And sometimes for good reasons. Like when I think about maybe some of my undocumented neighbors, out of fear, they're thinking, I, I don't know if I want to connect outside of other people in my same condition because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, of the government. I'm afraid of, of culture or whatever, right? So they, so they may say, I want to intentionally isolate because of that. Uh, maybe for other people, they're caught in shame. They know the sin in their lives. And they don't want to associate with other people because if I do, if I get into fellowship, maybe what's going on the inside, I might have to become real with myself. I might have to become real with God. I might have to become real with other people. And out of shame, I don't want to let people know who I really am and what's really going on on the inside. I don't want to let them know about my spiritual need. And so they intentionally isolate other people, maybe because of grief, want to isolate. And so often when we're grieving, whether it's a loss of relationship, loss of an actual person, whether it's loss in some way, what we find we need, we want isolation, but so often what we need are those times of refreshing with other people. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be in my grief. I wanted to be in my misery. But the reality is once I engage with other people, they breathe life into me and I began to breathe easier because I became real with myself or with others and with God. We are created for fellowship. Remember, fellowship is the ship that you board in pairs. 
the last of the people who kind of intentionally isolate are the proud. They're the arrogant. They're the ones like, I don't need people. I don't need other people. I'm good. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to handle myself, my sin, my paralysis on my own. I'm a proud paralytic. And they're self-sufficient. And they don't think they're that lost. And they don't think they have many needs. And they think they're, they got it pretty good. The reality is they're dying on the inside. They're getting proud. They're getting arrogant and isolated. Because those two things work together. The more arrogant you and I become, the more isolated you and I become. My question is, are you becoming arrogant and therefore more isolated because you're proud? Or are you going to let a community of care come around you? Fellowship is the ship that you board in pairs. Some of us, we've been coming to church alone far too long. You got to go get them. So who is the paralyzed person that you should bring into our fellowship of care? There's a little fill in the blank on your outline. And I want you this morning saying, who is it? God is saying, who is it? I don't want this to be a cognitive thing. You know there's some paralyzed people out here. But he wants to understand who he wants to begin to use you to draw here begin to use you to draw into a relationship with Jesus. Who is that person? And I want you just to fill in that blank. I would say, God, who is it? Who's the person that you've been putting in my sphere of influence, that you've been putting around me? And you know what? I, I talk to them every couple of weeks or every week, but I, I, I just have been going to church by myself. I've just been going to a community group by myself. I've been going to a circle by myself. And God's saying, expand your care. Let your faith reach to other people. Listen, have you been looking for a person to compensate for your sin and heal your paralysis? The question is, who can forgive sin but God alone? Have you been looking for a spiritual experience to forgive you of your sin and heal your paralysis? Maybe some mystical thing happened. Maybe some spiritual experience. You're hoping that'll do it. The question is, who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, have you been looking for a program to clean up your addictions, to give you acceptance, to heal your paralysis. You could go to the program, you could work on the symptoms, but only God can heal your sin and forgive it. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, if today you're realizing, I need to ask Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I need to know God, then you pray a prayer to him. He hears you right where you're seated. You just pray this. On the inside, God hears you. Something like this right after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation on the inside. Wash me white as snow, because today I give you me. Right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand? Anywhere in the room that that was you today. Awesome, right here on the end, right there. Awesome, greatest decision you could ever make. I see those hands. I see some little hands. And parents, let your little hands, let those little hands stay up. Because sometimes it's faith like a child, isn't it? Then we grow to understand all that we made in that decision as a youngster. Anywhere else in the room, awesome. God, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for uh, the strength that you give. We thank you, God, for your reaching to us in our paralysis. Lord, I pray that the Sun Grove Church is just made up of people who say, I will be a community of care for others in the Elk Grove region, across the world. God, anyone watching on the internet, that they would realize that they can reach to you right where they are 
We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We give it up for what God is doing. That's good, good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.